Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Leanne Clark Shirley, the Chief Gerontology Officer at the American Society on Aging, and currently its interim CEO. Leanne is a social gerontologist with expertise on the healthcare workforce, home and community-based services, and long-term care policy, in particular, why this country doesn't have one. Leanne, thank you for joining us on The Endgame. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Great. First, can you tell us a little bit about the American Society on Aging? What, it, what is it that your group does? Yeah, I would be delighted to. We are the, la- the largest multidisciplinary uh, association uh, membership club, if you will, for people that work with and on behalf of older people in some way. Um, we're, we're celebrating our 70th anniversary this coming year. Um, and people that are members of the ASA tend to be working in organizations delivering services directly to older adults, people who are advocating for older people. Companies like Shutterstock who care about creating age-inclusive imagery for others to use. Um, Companies in the age tech space. So we are a home that unites, celebrates, and champions everyone working in aging in some way. Great. Thank you. Uh, recently, a geriatrician wrote an opinion piece in the Journal of the American Medical Association hinting that one reason for the shortage of geriatricians is negative assumptions about old people. And I saw that you responded on social media to second his viewpoint and label the problem out-and-out ageism. Why did you see it that way? That's right. Well, you know, we... The field of geriatrics in general, which is the medical specialty associated with aging, it's different from gerontology, which has to do with more social and policy aspects of aging. But the field of geriatrics is young to begin with. And despite knowing for decades now that our population is rapidly aging, that there will be more and more older people, that field of medicine has never caught up to even come close to meeting the current demand, much less meeting the future demand. And I think that that is because the way that our country and our medical system in particular views older people is just through a limiting lens of aging as a time of decline, aging as a period where you need and you get help, but we pretend like that's the only thing that happens as we grow older. We discount that we develop new interests, that we get better, that we develop new abilities, that our interests change, that our priorities change, that we become happier. We discount all of that stuff in our society. And I think that that is really leading to the shortage of geriatricians we have now because medical students don't see it as an attractive career path. Okay, I'm going to ask a, a, a question that's kind of a softball for you, for you to hit out of the park. <laughs> What's so bad about ageism? Can't we just write it off as another stupid prejudice and go on about our lives? Does it actually do any harm? Oh, I wish we could. I wish it were that simple. It does a tremendous amount of harm. And again, I don't think that we as a society have an understanding for what those harms are. But, you know, 
in this case, when it when, as it relates to the shortage of geriatricians, let me share a statistic with you that still just boggles my mind. There was a study done by Becca Levy and colleagues um, just a couple years ago. They looked at Medicare spending for the top seven health conditions that people who are on Medicare face. And their analysis revealed that in one year, just one year, $63 billion of Medicare spending was directly attributable to ageism. What does that mean? $63 billion went out of Medicare's trust funds to pay for care related to age discrimination, to pay for care that happened as a result of experiencing negative age stereotypes, to pay for the consequences that we have um, that come with our own negative self-perceptions of aging. $63 billion or one out of every $7, put differently, is avoidable if we didn't have ageism. So that is one way, I mean, right there, that is a huge harm to our economy, to our health, to our families, to our society, to our own pocketbooks that ageism introduces, and it doesn't stop there. You have talked about there being like three large areas where ageism seems to be a problem. I, I take it from your response that med medicine is one of them. Absolutely. You know, and, and uh, fortunately, I think that the harms of ageism that show up in medical encounters are perhaps easily fixed. Um, I don't mean easy as in it's going to happen overnight, but you know, age discrimination, age stereotyping that makes doctors think, oh, getting aches and pains is a normal part of aging. I don't need to treat a patient for that. Depression is normal, so I don't need to treat for that. Those are behaviors that can change with just a little bit of knowledge and a few resources on the provider's part. And they can change too with an increased awareness um, by ourselves that we don't have to put up with that kind of treatment in a medical encounter. We can advocate uh, we know what feels normal to our bodies. And, and the older we get, our bodies feel differently in different ways. It doesn't look the same for all of us, but we need to speak up and be our own advocates. And at the same time, we need to shift the way that we see our own aging and try to figure out where we have negative beliefs about our own aging. If we feel worthless as we age, if we think that we just assume things are going to get worse. We have to stop and pay it and pay attention to those things and try to change our attitudes. Otherwise, all of that will just keep getting perpetuated. Um, but that's not the only bucket that I see. Um, I think there's real public policy and actually climate change implications here, too, that I'd love to talk about. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I noticed that one of ASA's major initiatives is climate change. And I was wondering What's that about? Are older adults more vulnerable than everybody else? Yeah, you know, in in some cases, and I think this is a good place to say, we always talk about older adults as as if they're one group of people that need and want and do the same things. And we that is just not true. The older we get, the more diverse we become as a group, actually. Um, but you're right, you know, um, Right now, when we talk about climate change and climate, when we talk about climate disasters, when we're looking at the wildfires that just happened in Maui, we talk about older people as victims, as helpless victims. And in too many cases, that is true. 
I would argue regardless of our age, we are all victims of this issue. Some of us are more helpless and vulnerable than others, but I think we need to take age out of that equation altogether and really see this as um, a multi-generational, intergenerational issue and solution. Um, you know, I think back to the OK Boomer quote that came out several years ago now um, that related to the, the climate, the climate uh, crisis. I feel like older people are talked about as, you know, the group to be blamed for our current climate uh, crisis um, or people that are, you know, victims of our changing climate. But, you know, as we age, we are still the same people we've always been. We have skills to bring to this issue. We have interests to bring to this issue. Our knowledge grows and changes over time. We have well-formed ideas that we've been thinking about for 30, 40 years, and we have new ideas that maybe haven't been tried before. Those are all assets that I think we need more than ever to bring to the climate change advocacy world, to bring to solutions that help reduce all of our risks uh, to fires, to air pollution, to access to safe water. This is an issue. This is a global issue that doesn't care about age and it's going to require all of us, regardless of our age, working together to deal with it. Well, I have to admit there is some temptation as I look at the projections for rising ocean levels to say, you know, I'm glad I won't have to deal with this. <laughs> uh, but you're saying that's really a, a chicken's way out, huh? Yeah, you know, and I'm not here to tell anyone what they should think or could think. I'm simply here to say, take your take the limitations that you think come with your chronological age out of that equation. If you want to take the chicken's way out and sort of say, you know, well, I won't be here to see it. I'm not here to convince anybody else to do any differently. But what I can tell you is that for every one person thinking that way, I, there are probably two, three, four, five who are saying, well, in my 10, 20 years that I have left, things are changing awfully quick. What's it going to be like for me? What's it going to be like for my children and my grandchildren? If I don't have, ch I, I'm a person that doesn't have children, so I won't have grandchildren, but I still very much care about what the younger folks, 50, 60, 70, 80 years from now, what they're going to be left with. I care about that. Our, our chronological age should not limit our motivation to take action, to help deal with, cope, move past, fix, however you want to see the solution to our climate. Okay. And obviously there's an area where your, your advocacy is very strong. Um, you talked about three areas. Have we hit on two of them or have we hit on one of them or yeah, I think we've hit on two of them. We've hit on the healthcare system and how ageism shows up in medicine, and we've hit on climate change and how people, we need to start connecting the dots between our aging society and climate. So what's the third? The third one, this is maybe, I like to get on soapboxes. This is a soapbox that I find um, really enjoyable to get on, and it's around public policy and and, you know, how we talk about aging at a public policy level, locally, inside our states, even at the federal level. And I think a clear example of the opportunity we have is 
if we could get President Biden to say us and we and me when he talks about older Americans, he, he talks about them. And I'm sitting here saying, come on, man, you are they. <laughs> you are part of our older uh, population here. And, and you know, there's, there's resistance on the president's part to even acknowledge and talk about himself. Um, in context of our aging population. So, you know, starting there, but even beyond that, when you look at the national system that we have for who's available to take care of us as our needs change over time, we don't, we don't have a national long-term care system. We have Medicaid, which will pay for nursing home care for the poorest amongst us. We have private funded long-term care, assisted living uh, communities, in-home care, if you can afford it, and it's really getting expensive. But good luck navigating and finding that care because we have direct care worker shortages. So we've got at best a fragmented system full of really passionate, skilled, talented, caring professionals, but we have no national public policy to support that infrastructure in the way that it needs to be. Um, and I also think about, you know, the public policies we do have. Everybody thinks about Medicare and Social Security. Those are two instrumental, instrumental programs that we have at the federal level. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that really, if, if we look to those as the two main public policies that support our aging society, that reduces us to our wallets and our health. And we know that as we age, we continue to be full humans that might like to get some training in a new area, that might like to get a job, that might like a side gig, that might want to volunteer. Right now, our public policy system doesn't acknowledge that at all. What might a, an effective policy look like? Mm. Well, that's a big question. I would argue that an effective public policy system looks like the people that it needs to support. So what do I mean by that? Policies that better fund all types, the full continuum of long-term care, that take this as not just a Medicaid issue, but as a public health issue. Public policy that incentivizes providers and leaders of care organizations to reflect the demographics of the people that they're taking care of. Having people that need and use and want services play a role in defining what quality looks like in those contexts. Right now, that's all happening by someone somewhere in an office. And if you're receiving a service, there are measures being collected about that service that are reported up to people and there's funding attached to it. Those have largely been designed without any input from the people who are getting the services in the first place. So I think there's all kinds of room here uh, for those things. But also, you know, climate policy that acknowledges and utilizes the opportunities that our aging society brings. Um, I think there's all kinds of ways. And there's some promising initiatives that I'm seeing if you would care to hear about those. Sure. Let's have a few. Okay. Um, one is um, something called the multi-sector plan for aging. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this or if your state has one. I'm are you not, aware of any? I'm have not. you heard about this before? Okay. So these are really cool. And I would recommend everyone at least do 
a Google search for a multi-sector plan for aging in whatever state you live in. The whole idea behind this movement, and they're usually connected to state governments, is um, this notion that every state has a growing aging population And that has implications not just for publicly funded services like we've been talking about, but it has economic implications. It has implications for private industry. When you're talking about workforce issues, where are you hiring and recruiting and retaining older workers? Um, Are the local parks and recs thinking about age-inclusive programming and building structures that work for an aging society? So it's really intended to be a state level umbrella for everyone to come together, collaborate, share resources, and coordinate to make the state the best place that it can be for today's older people and tomorrow's alike. So I recommend you check that out. Which states are doing that? There are a lot now. Um, I Last I heard, I think there were over 20 or so that have some type of um, multi-sector plan in the works. And I would point everyone to the SCAN Foundation. They do some important funding in this area. If you Google the SCAN Foundation and multi-sector plan on aging, it'll take you to one of their web pages that uh, actually shows you a map of which state is thinking about it, which states have started down the path, which states like California have already created a plan and they're working on implementing it. So it's a neat resource to, to get smart about. Is there anything we as older adults can do about ageism in general, or do we just have to sort of take it? (laughs) I don't think anybody should take it at all. Um, And yes, you know, we talked about this a, a little bit ago. Examining where negative attitudes about your age come into play, I think is really important. And reflecting on that, what are you doing to limit yourself because you think it's something that an older person shouldn't do that you'll be excluded by a younger person if you try to do think think about what you exclude yourself from uh what you don't wear what colors you don't dye your hair what job you don't apply for there's any number of ways really think about how it limits your own perception of you and what you want and what you're able to do and then it's no easy task to talk to people who are younger and older than you Uh, about ageism. It's not easy. There's no playbook that says, say this instead of that, and then you're not ageist. (laughs) But the important thing to do is to notice and flag when the way you treat someone or when the way someone treats you is related to the number of times you've been around the sun. Notice those things and try to change one little thing about that interaction ask a question, say, hey, I, you know, I feel like you're making an assumption because I look like someone who's older. Are you making that assumption? And if you are, allow me to correct you. I actually am very interested in getting a new job, you know, things like that. Um, And keep, keep reading. There are some great people to follow um, on social media. There's some great books to read. I highly recommend Elderhood by Dr. Louise Aronson. She talks about, um, in particular, ageism in medicine. I highly recommend following Ashton Applewhite on social media, Tracy Gendron. She's talking a lot about ageism. Um, Highly recommend following uh, 
a woman named Christina Peoples. She's under the social media moniker of Jero What, which is a play on when you tell someone you work in gerontology, they say, well, Jero What? <laughs> so she's created a brand out of that. She's a younger person who is really an anti-ageism activist, and she's full of great resources. And I would recommend checking out uh, Bill McKibben's work uh, with The Third Act. This is a new group he's put together. Bill is targeting people over 60 who care about the climate, who care about social justice. And, you know, he's saying if you're 59 or younger, come back in a year or two. But for now, let's mobilize uh, the 60 plus towards some really important issues right now. So there's all kinds of things to do. Fantastic. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your strong advocacy for older adults through the American Society on Aging. You're so welcome, and um, thank you for having me. And we at the American Society on Aging would welcome um, your engagement. Go to asaging.org to learn about what being a member of the ASA entails, to see what we're talking about. We've got a journal. We've got a blog. We're up to all sorts of things. It's a great place to come to connect with people who care about aging in a real authentic way. Thank you. This has been very satisfying and very uh, motivating as well. Really appreciate your time. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The End Game.